Welcome, you're listening to the Mac Observer's Background Mode. I am your host, John Marchalero, and this week my guest is the Mac Observer's Dave Hamilton. Dave, welcome. Thanks for having me, John. This is great to be here. It's been a while. It's been a while since you've been on the show. It's nice to have you back. For the listeners, I'll give you an introduction. Dave is the co-founder of the Mac Observer, publisher, and co-host of the legendary Mac Geek Gab podcast, having done over 800 shows with our John Brown. Also, he's an Apple and router guru. Pretty cool. So I've got a list of (laughs) questions for you and things we decided we wanted to talk about. Let's start with Apple succession planning. Ooh, all right. As we know, Tim Cook took over when Steve Jobs passed. I believe it was October 2011. Is that right? Uh, Steve <clears throat> passed in October, but I, I think Tim Cook took over in August prior earlier. to that. Yeah. 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 So it's been almost 10 years now. And we've heard that Apple is thinking more seriously, not only about succession planning for Tim Cook, as a matter of course, because he's almost 60, but getting some new life into the executive staff, because a lot of those guys have been around for a long time. One of the things that puzzles me is uh, the constant reference to Jeff Williams, who's only, I think, two years younger than Tim Cook, but maybe he's feeling better and maybe he's not ready to retire. Maybe Tim (laughs) Cook is, I don't know. What do you think? Maybe, yeah. I mean, Wikipedia tells us that he was born in 63, which makes him approximately three years younger than Tim. Um, I, you know, certainly, so there's two types of secession planning that, that you would have one succession planning, not secession planning because secession is different. Sorry, I mispronounced that. Uh, two types of succession planning that you'd have one is sort of the emergency, uh, scenario where if something happened to Tim Cook, you know, that I'll, I'll use the, the horrific example that we seem to have just become so comfortable with, you know, him being hit by a bus. But if Tim Cook were hit by a bus, you know, Apple has a plan in place for someone else to take over. And I absolutely would believe that that's Jeff Williams. Yeah, given, too. right, you know, given what what we see, how they present people, you know, Apple, Apple doesn't do anything by accident, especially, I mean, certainly they do, they, I'm sure there's lots of happy accidents that happen privately, but publicly very, very few things are, are accidents. And especially in their, you know, their their keynotes or their announcements or, you know, whatever it is. I don't even know what we call these things that they're doing now that are these produced shows, right? Like what we saw Tuesday. Video uh, events. It's a video. Yeah, but it's a show. Like it's a video announcement is what it is. But I mean, they, there's, there's showmanship in there. So, but anyway, you know, they, they, they telegraph things in there that, are built to make us comfortable with future decisions that we will, or decisions they've made that we will find out about in the future or may find out about in the future. And one of those would be Jeff Williams. You know, we are all comfortable with Jeff Williams. Analysts are comfortable with Jeff Williams. Investors are comfortable with Jeff Williams. They know who he is. He has credentials. He has credentials. He's the COO. He's well-spoken in public. He's well-liked. He's head of the Apple Watch, or has been head of the Apple Watch project. I think they passed right. over to a woman we saw during the video event. Right, uh, but right. uh, he's yeah. got—he checks all the boxes for somebody to be a CEO. Absolutely, yeah. Now, I mean, is he the person that I would pick as Apple's CEO? That's a whole different question than me being comfortable with him as the person who would 
have to step into that role in an emergency scenario. Well, um, I think it's both. I think he's okay. He's, he's right. both the emergency successor in the bus scenario and the long-term prospect right now, because I cannot think of anybody who is on the current executive team who would be more likely to take over for, than Jeff Williams. For a long time, there were people who thought about Johnny Ive. He had no credentials. He was a designer and a geek and a and an engineer, and, and he's not qualified to be the CEO of a trillion-dollar company. Uh, well, other names so have been uh, brought up in the past, like Scott Forstall when he was there. <laughs> oh, my my so, bet, my bet uh, on the next CEO is Scott Forstall or Gene Munster, one or the other. <laughs> One is more likely than the other, but I'm not sure which. Um, so, but, but you bring up an interesting thing. Like I've, I've always sort of liked musing on the idea of Scott Forstall coming back as Apple's next CEO. Really? No. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because oh, that's not gonna happen. <laughs> I, I don't think it's gonna happen. But he is, you know, ten years younger than Tim Cook. Um, but but what he has that Tim Cook does not have is he's got well a the engineering background but b he's got that um well that sort of dickish quality to his personality at least, <laughs> at least he's got a persona where we know of him as someone who's dickish anytime i've seen him on stage he doesn't come across as dickish at all like he's a very nice guy uh he's very well spoken he's very personable he's very charismatic uh, is he, you know, the next Steve Jobs? Clearly, no. But he has a lot of those qualities that Jobs had. He, you know, he's a yeah, geek. Yeah, but he's been Jobs away from the geek. company too long. Well, but but that's not like so. That's not necessarily a bad thing. Yes, um, it is. Yes, it is because you have to be aware of Apple's strategy, a long term. Uh, <laughs> scenario of, of Apple evolution and financial interests and practices and what what Apple is doing behind the scenes, their allies, their strategy, uh, the evolution so of the products so you can be well-spoken about the products. I don't think a CEO needs that. I mean, we, we like it's proven time and again, and it will be continued to be proven time and again that that many companies bring in new CEOs from the outside, right? I mean, that happens constantly. So you don't need someone from inside. Yeah, but they're coming over from another company who has the same kind of structure and practices. What you don't want to do is sit in a meeting with Scott Forstall and say, Sir, Mr. Forstall, may we remind you that this is such and such at Apple. You know, you don't want to have to keep reminding him. He's going to take a long time to speed. It, it, but that's the thing is you, people can be brought up to speed. I, I don't think that that in and of itself is the reason they wouldn't bring him back. I, I, I think, A, I don't know that he has any interest in coming back. He certainly never expressed it. And B, I don't think anyone on Apple's executive team wants him back. He, they, I think they were all happy <laughs> yeah. to see him go. Yes. And in the end, I think he is happy to be gone. I know he was not happy to go, um, but but he's a real like. Someone like him would be a really interesting CEO for Apple. I mean, we've we've had Steve Jobs before. Again, Forstall and Jobs aren't exactly the same, but they are more similar than, say, Jobs and Tim Cook. Right? Now, now, now wait a minute. Now, wait a minute. That, that brings up a very important point. When Steve Jobs was the CEO, you had to have somebody who was edgy 
and sort of boastful in order to resurrect the company from the ashes of destruction. And you had to be bold and you had to be brash and overly self-confident and you had to be a little bit abrasive in, in your self-confidence in order to convince investors and the rest of the company that you know what you're doing and you can bring this company back from oblivion. Right. Then Steve Jobs saw in Tim Cook a steady hand, somebody who could take the company from salvation into technical and financial maturity. And that's exactly what Tim Cook has done. I think it's wrong Absolutely. to think about going back, as a lot of people fondly would like to do, to the Steve Jobs era, where a trillion-dollar company who's financially and technically mature goes back to a you know, wisecracking kind of CEO. That's why we. Absolutely. That's why my money's on Jeff Williams. Yeah. No. I. 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 I don't disagree with you that that is what Apple's plan likely is to stick with the safe, you know, ops focused, uh, you know, conservative. Like, I hate that that word has become, you know, forever uh, associated with politics. I don't mean it that way. But, you know, that that conservative CEO. I mean, I mean, there's parts of Tim Cook that aren't conservative at all. I mean, you have a lot of people saying you can't have a gay conservative. Well, I mean, like he's not a gay conservative in that way, but he is, you know, conservative in he's, you know, he manages risk more from a conservative side than, than say Steve jobs did, uh, you know, banking the company because he had to on, you know, one product at a time (laughs) because that's all they could do. You know, they, they weren't big enough to be able to, develop multiple product lines uh, simultaneously like that. Right. But now they are. And, and you're right. You know, Steve jobs with his very, very focused vision led the company in a way that it had to be a very, very focused thing, but it, you know, that, that confidence, that cockiness definitely was a huge factor in getting Apple out of the ashes. Like you said, Um, but but now you're right. They are a trillion dollar company. It does not. It would not surprise me. In fact, it would surprise me if it was the opposite. Uh, th- th- you know that Apple wants to stick with that kind of CEO. A, a Jeff Williams is a, a other than the age thing is an obvious choice uh, there. But but I think regardless, even if they choose someone from the outside, I think it would be someone like that to just keep, you know, a steady hand on the uh, on the rudder and and keep things moving. That said, from my standpoint and my standpoint does not matter, but I'll say it anyway, because you invited me on the show. From my standpoint, I miss that, uh, you know, cavalier at times attitude from Apple that that, you know, throw caution to the wind because if we don't, we're going to, the company's not going to survive. Like I I liked that Apple. That's the Apple we all fell in love with, you know, as the underdog, right? The Apple that had something to prove. And that's sort of been my problem with the, the entire C-suite at Apple. Many of those people, in fact, all of those people have been with Apple for a very long time. Many of them have been with Apple for a long time. And of those that have been with Apple for a long time, all of them used to be really hungry, right? Now, they were because they had to be because the companies and and therefore their own futures depended on them being hungry 
and and taking risks and really, you know, doing these bold things that they knew were right, even though everybody told them they were wrong. And now those people have have because they did all those great things when they were hungry, they, you know, have created this, this a massive amount of wealth and comfort and safety for themselves. Right. And so Apple is safe. Everybody in the C-suite there is is safe. And and so we don't have that hungry Apple anymore. I don't know that we will ever have hungry Apple again. Like you said, they're a multi-trillion dollar company. Like it's hard to be hungry. Now I I you know, I think they are Got too many oars in the water to change the helmsman. Yeah, but I, I think they are they are eager to continue to put out excellent products and they are clearly eager to make those products in the way they see as quote unquote right. And, and, you know, privacy is a huge part of that yeah. for them. Right. You know, I mean, there, there are things about which they still are caval not cavalier, but, but um, cocky, right? Like the privacy thing, they are happy to sort of poke a little bit of fun at the rest of the industry when they say, look, you know, we're not, you are our customers not you are not our product right like that that's a huge right. thing inside apple and i and i like apple for that so so in some ways maybe they they are still hungry like that but but i miss the 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 sort of the products that that you know are 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 just like this the passion of the entire company and like look what we made this crazy thing you're gonna love it and most of the time they were right i i don't know that we see that i mean it takes these products a time to you know, for us, their their market isn't just those of us that that you know love Apple because we love Apple. Their product, their market is you know a much broader segment of society now. So their products are a little more conservative in that way, and and I miss that Apple. I, you know, that Apple that's willing to take a floppy drive away. Yes, they took the <laughs> headphone jack away, right? But. But, but honestly, that wasn't courage. as I, 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 yeah, courage. Yeah, that, that's it. I, I miss that courageous Apple. Again, the headphone jack is probably the most recent example of that. Um, but, but I, you know, there, there's not enough of that for me. But again, my opinion doesn't matter. Let me ask you a really tough question. I'm looking at the executive profile page, and if Jeff Williams were not going to be the successor to Tim Cook when Tim Cook retires, non-emergency step in. But, you know, Tim Cook says, okay, I'm done. I'm taking my money. I'm going home. I'm done. I'm going to retire, go fishing. Who on the executive profile page would be a candidate? If you're assuming that you want to promote from within, it's too okay. risky to bring in an outsider from somebody from, you know, IBM or Oracle. So if you wanted to Take, if you wanted to pick from that page of executive profiles, is there somebody on that page who stands out as qualified to be the CEO of Apple and somebody who's fairly young? Phil Schiller uh, recently well, announced he's stepping down. Yeah, and Phil Schiller's not, I mean, if we're using Tim Cook's age as sort of the, the barometer there, then Phil Schiller's not young. In fact, right. very few people on this page are young, and I don't know that any of them really, you know, fall into that realm. But especially if they Who have seen... Who would you seen, pick if you had to? I'd pick Craig Federighi. I, I would like to see Craig Federighi run Apple. Like, that. I think that would be interesting because he is... He, oh, he he's is the perfect combination of snark and gentleman. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Yes. 
But yeah. because he's a software engineer, does he have CEO class experience? Well, Steve Jobs didn't have CEO class experience. Uh, you know, he is 10 years younger, almost nine years younger than, than Tim Cook. I think Craig uh, is 51, right? Craig's 51. Yeah. Um, you know, he's, but he's got that youthful exuberance. Um, and he's a young guy, as I say, because his, his age isn't too <laughs> because far he's off from us. mine. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's, he's older than me. I, you know, I don't, I don't speak about anybody else, but, uh, but not that much older than me, John. So, uh, y- you know, yeah, I, I, I like, I would like him as the face of Apple. Um, if I had to pick one person from this page that, that I know of, I mean, it, it, it's possible there are other people here that would be, that would be great for that. Um, you know, Phil Schiller for many years was kind of an obvious, well, if we need to put somebody in that role, he's the right guy. Cause everybody knows him. Um, but, but as you said, he has officially announced that he's, you know, at least attempting to take a step back until he retires. Back, There's no way yes. he's out. Right. right you know, but right. But yeah, I, you know, I, I would see, I want to, I would like to have a geek in charge of Apple again. So Federighi's my guy. Yeah. I think I agree with you. Guess what? Yeah. We're out of time on segment one. We have to take a commercial yeah. break. Folks, I'm chatting with the Mac Observer's Dave Hamilton. We will be back in 60 seconds. Stay with us. Hello there, all you fabulous background mode listeners. I'm Charlotte Henry with the Mac Observer, and I just want to say a few words about how you can support all the things we do. If you're thinking about buying something from Apple, Amazon, or Macmore, simply go to the Mac Observer's homepage where we have a section called Support TMO. Or you can just enter www.macobserver.com forward slash Apple Store, all one word, and that will take you to our special page for Apple and all our other affiliate partners. If you make a purchase from one of our partners this way, the Mac Observer receives a small compensation for sending business their way. Pretty cool, right? And even better, you don't pay a penny more. This small fee from our affiliates helps us continue to bring you TMO's daily news, reviews, tips, how-tos and podcasts just like this one. So... The next time you're thinking about an online purchase, please do come to TMO's homepage and support the Mac Observer. Thanks. Back to you, John. Thanks, Charlotte. We're back. I'm chatting with the Mac Observer's Dave Hamilton. Well, we blew the first segment on succession planning. I'm going to skip over (laughs) some items that we had on the agenda to make sure we get in the important stuff. Um, We talked about a discussion of Wi-Fi 6. And Apple has released some new MacBooks recently without Wi-Fi 6. And you told me before the show that you had some thoughts on Wi-Fi 6. Share it with us. Yeah, well, I, my general thought is that, you know, Wi-Fi 6 can help many of us today. Um, and I'll, I'll circle back to why I, I believe that. It, in terms of what Apple products support or which Apple products support Wi-Fi 6, it started with the iPhones 11 about a year ago. Uh, they all, all of them, if your iPhone has an 11 in the model name, it supports Wi-Fi 6. Uh, the new iPads support uh, Wi-Fi 6. There are no products with Mac in their uh, title that support Wi-Fi 6 currently. And I thought that was a little weird, especially with the 16-inch MacBook Pro uh, earlier this year yeah. slash late last year. Especially uh, the yeah, 13-inch. And, it, yeah, my guess is that that's a, a supply chain thing. They had sourced Wi-Fi chips ahead of time that did not have Wi-Fi 6 in them and and they stuck with those. 
Now, what does Wi-Fi 6 do? It, it operates in the same 5 gigahertz band as Wi-Fi 5, which we previously called 802.11ac. Uh, Wi-Fi 6 technically also supports the 2.4 gigahertz band, and then Wi-Fi 6e uh, adds some support for the 6 gigahertz band. But by and large, it lives in the same band that, that we currently do. It uses a different uh, frequency modulation protocol uh, technology that allows for much faster uh, bandwidth over the same connection, which, which is great. Because what that means is if you get faster connections, it means that your range increases. Because if you could get the speed that you wanted at, let's say, 20 meters before, well, now you can get the speed that you want at, say, 40 meters or maybe 30 meters, right? So this makes a difference when we're doing things online. How can Wi-Fi 6 help us now? Well, How can you get a lot Wi-Fi of, 6? You're going to have to get a new router, right? You would need a new router. Yes, your router would need to support Wi-Fi 6. Although the ad hoc connections between two iPhones when you're airdropping, a, you know, if, I'm, if, if you and I are in the same room, John, and I decide to airdrop uh, a video to you, our phones will use our, their current Wi-Fi connections to find each other. And then they create an ad hoc connection, which means a connection direct between our two phones, skipping the local router, and they just beam to each other. So they would be using Wi-Fi 6 if we're both on iPhones 11. Uh, so in that, you know, in those little scenarios, yes, you'd be using Wi-Fi 6. Um, and, and you can see the speed benefit there, although it's hard to measure it because there's no tools to measure on the iPhone that support that. But, you know, that's a conversation. What kind of throughput can we expect in Wi-Fi 6? Well, you know, they, they say gigabit throughput. The, I have seen gigabit throughput on, on Wi-Fi 6. In fact, they say multi-gigabit throughput. I, I have seen, you know, close to, I, I, you know, so when I do a speed test, over gigabit Ethernet, uh, I s usually see speeds of about 930 uh, megabits per second uh, over a normal Ethernet, you know, gigabit Ethernet connection. I have seen speeds above that, 950, 960, over a mostly unencumbered uh, Wi-Fi 6 connection from about, let's say, 10 meters away from, you know, phone from the router kind of thing. So... And, and your, you know, your phone with a Wi-Fi 5 connection will generally, again, best, truly best case scenario, do maybe half of that. So it really does. It will double your speeds. You well, know, if your a, throughput from your Internet service provider is, say, 100 megabits per second, then you can't really exploit a Wi-Fi 6 router. Um, right? You can't exploit a Wi-Fi 6 router for your Internet. Uh, speeds, but you certainly right. can for local backups and things like that, right? Yeah, in, so, inside uh, your network. Inside your network. But yeah, I mean, many of us have gigabit connections now, and so, you know, being able to to leverage that is is helpful. Wi-Fi 6 really is the only way that you would leverage that with your phone, uh, whereas Ethernet would be the way to leverage it with your Mac. But the way we can all use Wi-Fi 6 right now, regardless of what client devices we have, is with our mesh networks. Now, of course, not every mesh network supports Wi-Fi 6, and we're leaning on some of our favorite ones to get there as fast as they can. But if you are using a Wi-Fi mesh network, meaning you know you, you have multiple Wi-Fi points, one of which is connected to, say, your cable modem or whatever service you have coming in, 
And then you have other mesh points throughout your house or your business uh, connected wirelessly to each other to, let's say, relay the signal, because that's that's sort of the right word to use. Those me- If those mesh points can use Wi-Fi 6 as their backhaul communication between each other, what it means is if you've got three Wi-Fi 5 clients connected at the far end of one of those, well, they're not fighting for bandwidth on the backhaul back to your router because you've got this Wi-Fi 6 connection amongst your mesh. So for those of us that might have in the past gone out of our way to dig you know, into our walls and put Ethernet cables in, that might be a lot less necessary when you have a Wi-Fi 6 mesh. In fact, it's proven to be less necessary. And so that's really where Wi-Fi 6 right now is super helpful. If you if you can get a mesh system that uses Wi-Fi 6 and does it well, and that is, there are very few of them that that are sort of falling into that that realm. But but there you know there are a couple. TP Link's got a thing that that's that's promising. We heard rumors this week that Eero is getting FCC approval on something that looks to be a Wi-Fi 6 router or setup coming from them. Uh, Linksys Velop has their Wi-Fi 6 out. I've never been a huge fan of Linksys Velop because it's just a little, it's overly, it's not smart enough to to be called mesh in my opinion, but it does work. So if you're, if you're, you know, if your system uh, can work with a Velop setup, then then you could do that now. So it'll support IPv6 in bridge mode, right? Um. They all support IPv6 in bridge mode. So that's two very different technologies that we're conflating together. Um, yes, they all support IPv6, and most of them also support bridge mode, but you don't need bridge mode for IPv6 to work. Like Eero, for example, uh, and Velop and TP-Link and all of the others can can be a your IPv6 router, right? In fact, I would say 95% of the routers that you buy today can be your IPv6 router as well as an IPv4. Sort of an IPv6 NAT kind of thing? Well, there's no NAT necessary with IPv6. Well, there is. There's a pseudo NAT that used to be talked about. Only if your, only if your provider doesn't, doesn't allow, doesn't natively support IPv6. But if you're using something like Comcast that natively supports IPv6, you can have one router uh, it talks IPv6 and then will NAT your IPv4 connection. But you, there is no NAT for IPv6. NAT being, NAT is network address translation, but we all know it as the protocol, the technology that allows us to get one IP address from our internet provider and share that amongst all our devices. That was very necessary with IPv4. With IPv6, every single one of the devices in our house gets a real IP address an IPv6 address from the internet uh, and then can just be yeah, accessed directly. Some discussion about that in the past. I don't, I haven't visited in a while, but because there's so many available IPv6 addresses, you are mm. lost in the debris of, of 10 to the th- what? 34 addresses. Yeah. So it's kind you, of, you're lost in you. it. You, you do need a router, and and they all do this by default. That that firewalls, you know, traffic coming in. But what's interesting is your Mac and your iPhone will get what what would be called their sort of primary IPv6 address that is always addressable that way, and it's based on usually based on their their hardware Mac address. But then every I think it's every hour, but it might be more frequently than that. Your Mac and your iPhone 
create temporary IPv6 addresses to right. use for their outbound connections. I remember now we've talked about this. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So so that so that no so that you're not exposing your main never changing IPv6 address and that way people can't target you long term and that sort right. of thing. So folks, yeah. folks, I told you at the beginning of the show that Dave was a router guru. Are you convinced now? You should listen to his Mac Geek App podcast every week. All right, we got to move on. Moving We're almost on. out of time. We have time for one more subject. One of the things I've noticed with iOS 12, 13, maybe 14, is, is that there's an ever-changing UI in Apple OSs, especially iOS. Changes in way you do things, uh, hidden features of the, uh, of the operating system, long presses and subtle changes in the way iOS presents itself and operates. And if you don't pay attention and you don't explore those, one day you're going to be surprised. If you're not highly practiced and deeply explore, say, iOS 13 or 14, now that 14 is out, you're going to run across a situation where you're going to go, oh, what just happened? And why did that happen? And why did I lose my app? Or why did this thing come up? And it can be a little frustrating, and uh, it can be alarming, and it can cause people to be a little gun-shy about you know, being too touchy-feely with their uh, iPhone. We talked about this in the morning meeting, and you agreed it's a bit of a problem. It's a big problem. Uh, you know, I, um, my, my favorite thing to be scared of is split-screen mode on my iPad Pro. I, oh, I, yeah. I, I don't, yeah, well, I don't use it often. Um, like, you know, you use the word practice and that's example. a, it's a great word. I just, because I don't use it often when I find myself in that, you know, world where I've got like Safari and slide over, or I've suddenly got two screens. I, I know from experience that if I make the wrong move from there, I can get myself tied in knots and I don't know what to do now. Is this something that I am incapable of understanding? Probably not, right? You, you know, I just we just talked for fifteen minutes about the intricacies of Wi-Fi and router technology. I, I like, I'm pretty sure I could figure this out, but I'm not practiced in it, and because of that, uh, it it completely flabbergasts me, and and so I need to spend some time with it, which obviously I should, but because I don't use it, I'll forget, and then it's lost again. Uh, but your your point stands that Apple is adding features to the OSs, and this is true of Mac OS as, as well as iPad OS and Watch OS and iOS. They're adding features faster than they're taking them away. They do take some features away, but again, you know, back to the the first conversation we're having, we don't have this courageous Apple that's just saying, "Look, and here's a stupid example because I know a lot of people do use split screen." But let's say Apple said, you know what, we've done the metrics on this all privately, of course, we've, nobody's, I, we don't know anybody's personal habits, but we've, we've gathered things in mass. We know that only, you know, half a percent of you, which, which is wrong, by the way, but, you know, just take, take my example. This is a for instance here, pie in the sky. Only half a percent of you use split screen. So we're taking it away so that it doesn't confuse the other, you know, 95 and 99 and a half percent of you. Right. Like we don't see Apple doing that with very many things. 3D touch. They did. Right. But other than that, you know, there's not many things that Apple takes away. So with every release of iOS and every release of Mac OS, there's more features just being piled on. And by and large, they don't get in each other's way. But your your point about discoverability 
is the issue. It's like with so many of these features, if you're not using them, practicing them every day or on a regular basis, you forget or don't even know that they can exist. And then you're looking over your friend's shoulder and they, you know, get their, their iPad into slide over mode and then all this stuff. And you're like, what magic is this? How did you make that happen? Or how yeah. did you change the brightness level on your flashlight? Which is a thing you can do, by the way, folks. You know, you see somebody do that. If you didn't know that was possible. One of the things that bothers like, me is uh, I'm trying to move an app from one page to another. So yeah. I do a long press on it and it starts wiggling. And then yeah. I move it where I want, want to go. But I'm mystified by how sensitive it is to create a folder and it's all too uh, eager to create a folder where i don't want to go i wanted to go to a specific position on another page yep and it keeps driving me into a folder and i have to be very careful what's the yeah. word sort of and you have to be gloves. very intentional I have to, I have to treat it with kid gloves kid gloves there you go yeah. yeah in order to make sure i don't drop my app into a folder instead of the desired place on another page and it seemed to me that was a feature of iOS 13 where it became hair triggered to create yeah. a folder. And I'd like to see a little, board, a little bit more definitiveness about when you create a folder, some sort of more def carefully thought out UI so that you don't have a mixture of uh, position sensitivity the way it is now. That's it's true. Example. I was... I was moving some things, you know, I, I, I updated my iPhone to, to iOS 14 when it came out and uh, I was trying to move some things out of the way so that I could have two screens of apps where I wanted them and then just turn off the rest of them because that that's now something we can do in iOS 14 and have it do its auto sorting because I don't care what's on the other eight pages of apps. I just want to search for them or find it through Apple's auto sort. And even then, I wound up creating accidental folders, just like you mm. described. So, mm. yep. Uh, yeah. So, like, this discoverability, I mean, we try to address it on MacGeekGab, but uh, with, with what we call our quick tips. And, and we always describe quick tips as those things that you do automatically every day that you don't even think about, that when someone sees you do it, goes, wait a minute. What did you just do there? You know, that thing where, you know, where you're in mail and you file mail with a keystroke and they're like, how did you make that message disappear? And it's like, oh, this thing that I, it's like muscle memory in my hands and you show them like, wow, I didn't know I could do that. It's like, yeah. And now hopefully, you know, if it's something that matters to them, they will go and like you said, practice it and then make it muscle memory for themselves. Right. But, you know, we only talk about a few quick tips a week on Mac Geek Gav, so we can't solve this problem either. <laughs> My yeah. advice is that you should look at the settings when a new version, a numbered version of iOS comes out, like 14 was released yesterday. Go through the settings and make sure that your location controls and your privacy controls are the way you want them, that nothing has been undone. And then start exploring the uh, operating system with uh, assistance from the Mac Observer guidance on tips and so on to make sure you, those things you do daily that you understand. And uh, we're going to have some new things on iOS that are going to mystify you for a while. And so you're going to have to spend a little time being a little practiced with it. I, I would I would like to see Apple kind of gamify this. You know, when you st when you play a game for the first time, it onboards you, right? It it you do a simple level of the game, whatever that means in the context of, of any particular game. But they walk you through a simple level of the game that you're playing while you're doing it. But really, what they're doing is teaching you how to play the next level Ooh, of the game, right? And so, why couldn't Apple create some, you know, I'll call them interactive videos, but it needs to be more than that. Like 
tap here, do this, touch this, so that you are getting that that practical experience while you're seeing it done. It's one thing to watch somebody else do it on a screen. It's another to be walked through doing it yourself and and sort of beginning that internalization process. Because with things like stacks and the new home screen stuff with iOS 14, I updated my phone. I had been using iOS 14 on a on a test phone. I updated my phone and nothing looked any different. I'm like, wait, how do I get these new stacks? I'm like, oh, right, I got to figure this out again, mm-hmm. you know. And and I I and but there was no indication on my screen of, hey, by the way, welcome to iOS 14. If you want, take 10 minutes and, and come through. Let us show you. One of these days you're going to accidentally touch something and then right. stacks are going to show up and you're going to go, what just happened to my display? What just happened? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. That's my that's my thought on it. Apple could approach this problem and at least begin to try and solve it. I don't know. Well, when I publish the uh, podcast, I will make sure that the tweet has Apple support Listed there so you that go. they can ponder what we just talked about. Yeah. All right. Well, we're out of time. Thanks for having me, John. Thanks for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure. Oh, I got to have you on the show more often. You're great. Well, you you are great as well. It's a ple- it's truly a pleasure to be here. I, I've enjoyed every second of this. Tell the listeners how they can contact you if they wish, if they don't already. Yeah. Know. Yeah. If, yeah. They, I mean, the easiest way is, you know, if you want to learn about the podcast that I do with John Braun, MacGeekGab.com, that actually just brings you to our home here at Mac Observer. And if you want to find me, I'm at Dave Hamilton on Twitter. That's probably the easiest way to find me. All right. Great. You've been listening to John Marcellero and the Mac Observer's Dave Hamilton on background mode. We'll see you again next week. <laughs>